the analogy I like to use is that you're swimming in this current or you're in a boat in this current. It's very difficult to get yourself over to the side and, and pause and look at it all because the river keeps flowing. Um, and, and so we have to build in these moments in our lives where we do pause and look at where our time is going, um, ask ourselves where we'd like our time to be going, uh, and the necessary adjustments that can be made to, to make that happen. But if, if you don't pause and build in that self-reflection, then inevitably you're going to feel like you have too much going on and not enough time to do it in. That was Laura Vanderkam on Psychologists Off the Clock. We are three clinical psychologists committed to cutting-edge, integrative, and evidence-based strategies for living well. On this podcast, we bring you ideas from psychology that can help you flourish in your work, parenting, relationships, and health. I am Dr. Diana Hill, practicing in Seaside, Santa Barbara, California. I'm Dr. Debbie Sorensen, practicing in Mile High, Denver, Colorado. And from coast to coast, I'm Dr. Yael Schoenbrunn, a Boston-based clinical psychologist and assistant professor at Brown University. We hope this podcast offers you ideas for how to live a full and meaningful life. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. Hi, everyone. This is Debbie. Most of us nowadays have a lot to do, and we end up feeling like we just don't have enough time to do it. And time can be a real struggle for people like me and maybe you. And the work of our guest today, Laura Vanderkam, has been really important to me in trying to take a closer look at how we use time and how we can be more intentional about our use of time. Diana, I know that you've been doing a little experiment in your own life that is very relevant today's, to today's topic. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've been doing with digital minimalism? Yes, it's so related to this time concept because time is our most important resource, right? It's the one thing that we can't make more of. And at the same time, what I found in my life is that my time has been getting interrupted and eaten away by my use of technology. And it's gotten to the point where I, I just got really frustrated with it. And in coinciding with that, I read this book, Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. We've mentioned him before on the show. And I started reading it and decided to make this commitment to like a digital detox for a week, where I went in gung-ho to say, I'm not going to do any, I'm going to take the week off from work, just do a couple of phone sessions, and I'm not going to do any texting or any emails. And that's my black and white approach. And I got hit in the face. And I know, Debbie, for you, it was kind of frustrating as well for me to decide to do this. It was. I couldn't reach you. And, and I kept having things we needed to coordinate or I needed to talk to you about. And it was, I, I kind of made a joke, I'm going to send you a Pony Express. Yes. But so I, what I found out pretty quickly is that actually that, that all or nothing approach didn't work. And you know, one of our friends was in the hospital. I needed to be in and wanted to be in the text conversation around that. I had some work stuff that showed up over email that I had to deal with, like my trust insurance was going to, you know, go down if I didn't respond. And so I, over time, have actually figured out that what I want to do more of is to use technology to support my values and how to really optimize my approach in a way that it's not interrupting me in my daily life. So 
for example, if I'm cooking dinner and I have texts that are coming in all the time, then I'm distracted from cooking dinner. If I'm with my kids and enjoying the present moment with my kids and I have texts coming all the time, I'm out with my kids. And I know all of us have that experience with technology or with this compulsive need to check. And part of that is not our fault. It's because technology is designed in the same way that junk food is, is that it's designed to make us go back for more and more without ever really getting that sense of satisfaction, nor a really deep social connection. And at the same time, I value the connection that technology provides. I mean, you're one of my closest friends and you're in Colorado. So if we didn't text or communicate over technology, we'd never really communicate. But I also value increased time of, um, of using voice. So I, at the end of this experiment, I've increased my use of voice memos, trying to use that over, over using word text. I've increased my use of phone calls. I've closed down and really made my emails happen a couple times a day. So in the morning, midday, and at night is my intention going forward. Right now, I've been checking it just once a day with the um, detox, but I'm going to be increasing it to three times a day. And also not going and doing the surfing, you know, random looking at news feed just because I'm bored standing in line at the grocery store. So I really, that's the other thing that's really been beneficial in terms of the use of my time is it's not getting sucked out into this, you know, waste land of just mindless web surf. Yeah, that's right. Keeping it more contained, figuring out what's important to you about it and what can go. I think that's so important. And actually, I did appreciate having phone calls with you. I almost forget sometimes that we can still call people because we're so used to just text back and forth. And I think this is all very much exactly what Laura Vanderkam is talking about this in this episode, is really figuring out what's important, how to maximize our time in terms of doing the important stuff, and what can we let go. And actually, there was another little debate that was sparked between the two of us, Diana, about the episode, which is related to outsourcing and online shopping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had a I had a strong reaction to the pro online shopping conversation that you guys that you'll hear uh, that the two of you had because of um, one I just for environmental reasons I'm I, I I get fearful if we're we're doing all of our online shopping but also for um, social reasons that I I find so much benefit in being able to leave your house and go to the store and meet with people and and even just the the interactions of teaching your kids about life and chop wood carry water how food is the transactions around food uh, so but I after thinking about that it's it's such my value system right it's so that's what's also I think important to look at that those are my values and those are different than maybe what your values are. Yeah, also. I have a physical therapist friend at work who who worries that we're all going to be like in the kids movie Wall-E. I don't know if you've seen it, Diana, but yeah. there's a part where they're all sitting in these recliner chairs and they just you know push a button and a soda appears and push another button and you know French fries appear and she worries that that's where we're headed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yet, I think that there are times perhaps when you're having a really busy week and you could take that 45 minutes, pick up your groceries that someone else bags for you, and go have a picnic at the park when you otherwise might not have as much time with your family. You know, there are times when it, for certain people, it might not be a priority. And, and for other people, it might be. You know, you might find that going to the store to get the freshest vegetables and walking there, you know, that that's a really wonderful use of your time. And it does, it all goes back to your own values and taking a look at how am I spending my time and how could I be spending it in a way that's more consistent with the life I want to have. 
And that's what I love about values work is that the content matters so much less than the process of just paying attention to what's the reason why I'm doing this? Does this line me up with the long-term person that I want to be? And, and that could look like online shopping for one or total, you know, taking hours at the farmer's market for another. Yeah, exactly. Well, we hope you find this episode useful and that it, it gives you some new perspectives on how you're using time in your own life. Laura Vanderkam is the author of several time management and productivity books, including Juliet's School of Possibilities, Off the Clock, I Know How She Does It, What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast, and 168 Hours. Her work has appeared in publications including the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, and Fortune. She's the host of the podcast Before Breakfast and the co-host with Sarah Hart Unger of the podcast Best of Both both worlds. She lives outside Philadelphia with her husband and four, I repeat, four children, and blogs at lauravandercam.com. That's Laura Vandercam with a K. Welcome to the podcast, Laura. Thank you for having me. So first of all, I love the title of your book, Off the Clock. It seems like a really happy coincidence to have you here on the Psychologist's Off the Clock podcast. That was quite a nice little coincidence there. Isn't it a great phrase? I mean, it just so sums up this idea of, I don't know, time freedom, um, which is which is why it definitely appealed to me. It does. It does. And for us, I think it, it kind of captures the sense of, you know, this is a professional thing we do. It's also kind of a fun thing we do. Um, and this is what psychologists like to talk about in our our spare time. time. Yeah, exactly. So I have to say, I've really been delving into your work. I just I just showed you my pile of four out of your five books. I've been loving it. I was um, impressed. Really, yeah, A plus for me, right? A plus, gold star. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's not to get a gold star. It's because your book is really having a deep impact on me. I think I struggle with time management a lot. I'm a working mom with multiple roles. And I'm one of these people, Laura, that you write about who just feels way too busy all the time. And yet I always kind of feel like I'm not quite where I want to be. Like I'm not quite getting all the things done that I want to be doing. So your book is, your books are just um, basically exactly what I need. And I'm hoping that our listeners will find it helpful as well. Wonderful. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. So I have to say when a friend of mine first recommended your work on time management to me, I just had the assumption that it would be yet another sort of how to be more efficient, be more productive, you know, crush your day kind of book. Um, but your work is really more than that. And I want to start here. I think your, your work helps people just fundamentally change how we think and feel about time. Um, it's just much deeper than this. Uh, and I'd like to start by asking, what do you think is really going on when people feel like I do? We just feel like we're too busy and yet we're still not quite managing it all. Yeah. I mean, the funny thing about time um, is that it keeps passing, whether you think about how you're spending it or not. And so it is incredibly easy to spend time mindlessly. And then you have these moments where you pause, like, I don't even know what I did. I feel like I was doing so much, but I have no idea what I did. And were were the things that I did remotely related to the things I want to be doing? And who knows, right? I mean, it's very difficult to, to pause. The analogy I like to use is that you know, you're, you're swimming in this current or you're in a boat in this current, you, you, it's very difficult to get yourself over to the side and, and pause and look at it all because the river keeps flowing. Um, and, and so we have to build in these moments in our lives where we do pause and look at 
where our time is going, um, ask ourselves where we'd like our time to be going, uh, and the necessary adjustments that can be made to, to make that happen. But if, if you don't pause and build in that self-reflection, then inevitably you're going to feel like you have too much going on and not enough time to do it in. That's absolutely what I'm getting out of your work. I think it's really about just being more intentional about how we use time. And one of the things you say that I love is that I don't have time really means it's not a priority. Yeah. I mean, this is some language that um, came to me from from one of the busiest people I ever interviewed. She was running a successful small business. She also had six kids. So like a lot going on. And she, um, you know, I'm asking her how she has it all and, and those phrases that, that we, we use. And she was basically, you know, everything I do, every minute I spend is my choice. And instead of saying, I don't have time to do X, Y, or Z, she'd say, I don't do X, Y, or Z because it's not a priority. And if you think about it, that tends to be more accurate language. I mean, people will tell you all kinds of things they don't have time for. One of my favorites, people say they don't have time to floss. No, you have time to floss. You don't want to floss. Like, let's own up to that reality here, which I don't know. Maybe there's a good reason for it. Maybe there isn't. But like, it's not about lacking time. It's that you don't want to do it. Um, And and that's fine for, for certain things like, you know, what it gets more complicated is I mean, like, well, my, my, you know, are you willing to say to yourself, for instance, my health is not a priority. My relationships are not a priority. Um, my long-term financial security is not a priority. I mean, are those things you're willing to say to yourself? Um, I think most of us might kind of pause a little as we hear ourselves say those words, um, which can be a little nudge to say, well, then is it really so bad to find 20 minutes in my life to look at my financial statements to actually look at my retirement accounts, see if what kind of money is there and, and be honest about it as opposed to just, you know, assuming we, we have no time and therefore we're off the hook. Yeah, I think that's so true. And that's what I've been discovering personally. I'll just tell a quick anecdote from what I've learned from your work. I've been uh, putting this into practice a little bit is that I spend a lot of time sort of compulsively checking my email, puttering around, and I'm not really giving myself permission to like, for instance, go for a walk or just actually relax or something like that that feels important to me. And time just sort of slips by and I can look back and be like, what have I been doing for the last hour? Honestly, I have no idea. And that's not to say that it's not okay to sort of rest or take time when you're off, but it's that sense of like, it's been passing by and I haven't done anything. You haven't done anything important in the professional sphere, but then you weren't really relaxing either, right? Like that's the worst of it that, uh, you know, if you'd consciously taken 45 minutes to go outside and enjoy the outdoors, relax, walk around, uh, see, you know, the beautiful summer sky. I mean, that, that's a great way to spend time, right? And you'd probably come back with various insights and a lot more energy to, to tackle whatever problems you were doing. But when we get stuck in this sort of like, I, you know, we're not doing anything, but we're not willing to relax either. That, that's where time really seems to get away from us. Right. I always complain that I, we have this hammock and I don't have time to go just read in the hammock, which is like my ideal summertime activity. Well, some of that puttering around time, I could just say, Okay, I'm going to go. Oh, I know. And people tell themselves those sorts of things all the time. I mean, the, the, the reading in the hammock one is, is a great example of this because I've, I've, I've seen it used before as an example of something people would do if they had an extra 15 minutes in the day. <laughs> I'm like, okay, come on. Like an extra 15 minutes in the day means that instead of a 168 hour week, you would have a 169.75 hour week. You mean to tell me 
that everything is so optimized and so perfectly allocated that everything would change if your weeks had 169.75 hours versus 168. The truth is it's not there at all. If you want to go sit for 15 minutes, do it. Now, you might need to be creative about it. Like, you know, if you have three toddlers in your house, like perhaps you need to ask somebody else to watch them for 15 minutes while you go sit in the hammock. But there's usually some way to to fit it in. Right. If it's important to you, there is. important to you. Well, speaking of that 168 hours, that's how many hours are, are in a week. Correct. And that's the title. Yeah, and that's the title of one of your books. And now one thing that you did is you studied time logs and you looked at you do your own time log. I did a time log the last couple of weeks. You studied time logs of these very successful people who have, you know, jobs and kids and the whole enchilada. And you notice that some people feel like their time is abundant and some of us don't. Um, what do you think about that? How can, how, what's the distinction between people who feel like time is abundant and the rest of us? Yeah. So this was the basis of one of my books called Off the Clock um, that I had 900 busy people track their time for a day. So everyone had full-time jobs, everyone had families. So everyone in those busy years. Um, I also asked them how they felt about their time. So then I could compare the schedules of people who felt relaxed about their time, who felt like time was abundant. And then, you know, the people who felt more starved for time, I, I gave people scores based on how they answered various questions. And, you know, there's a couple of interesting things. I think that, um, you know, one of the fascinating aspects is that people who felt like they had a lot of time were more likely to do something memorable during the 24 hours they tracked. Uh, I mean, we're talking things like going to salsa dancing lessons on a Monday night. Now, you know, that's probably not what most people do. (laughs) But if you go do it on a Monday night, you you might remember that Monday night. Uh, And it turns out that um, having memories of time makes time feel more rich and full. Whereas if you sort of spend it in the exact same way, doing things that aren't particularly memorable, like kind of sitting on the couch watching TV, you know, then it, then it, it's gone. It's as if it never happened. So um, doing some memorable things, uh, spending time with family and friends. It turns out that people who, who socialize um, are engaged in what I might call effortful fun. So there's effortless fun, which is watching TV, being on social media. There's also effortful fun, which is like getting together with friends. Uh, one takes a lot more effort. It takes planning. It takes negotiating with other people. It takes like not sitting on the couch in your pajamas. Uh, but it again is more memorable. Uh, so that filling your time with that is, is likely to make you feel like you have more time. Do you know that idea we gave my husband, and I gave your book off the clock to my in-laws who are semi-retired. That piece of that book was so they keep bringing it up with us and they planned a couple of weekend trips just for fun to shake up their routine. And it's had a huge impact. I think that's so true. Just that routine, just sort of passive engagement with time, watching too much TV screens, you know, you're not, it's just not, you're not going to remember it down the road. And yet how much time do we spend on those kinds of things? Because it's easy, right? I mean, that's the thing. And and we get so caught up on this idea, like, well, I want to have fun. And why should my fun take work? And and I mean, that's a good question. Uh, But the, the truth is, if you put a little bit of work into your fun, your fun is of a vastly different variety than if you don't. I mean, you know, spending an evening on Instagram looking at photos of other people's dinner parties is is a reasonably enjoyable way to spend time. Uh, You could also host your own dinner party, uh, which would take a lot more work, but in the grand scheme of things would 
feel like time was very different. Um, you would remember that night in a, in a way that you're not going to remember the night scrolling around looking at, at other people's parties. That's right. And you'd have time for social connection, which is one of your principles about people. People are a good use of your time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, investing in relationships tends to pay off in terms of feeling like you have more time. I mean, it's just the, the making memories, it's um, taking a little bit of thought and being intentional about time. And, you know, also just generally feeling like life is good. I mean, it's hard to tell yourself you have no time when you're the sort of person who gets together with a friend, right? You know, that's, that's, uh, it's all about the stories we tell ourselves. That's right. I also love the parts about sort of lingering and savoring time. And I, I mean, I know that that's just such a, it, just the idea of it is so lovely. And yet we often don't build that in. How do you recommend that people do a little bit more lingering and savoring? Yeah. So, um, I mean, one of the, this idea of savoring time, it's, it's knowing that you're having a good time and then acknowledging your pleasure. So it adds a second layer of um, cognitive realization to enjoying yourself. Um, and so it's part of the whole field of positive psychology. You know, how do some, there's certainly people who, when bad things happen, will ruminate about it forever and make it 10 times worse than it actually is. But there are also people who, when something good happens to them, they have the ability to stretch it out. Um, to really enjoy it, to think about it, to be fully present for it. Um, so there's lots of things you can do. I mean, one is looking and seeing when times are coming up that you will have the opportunity for savoring. Um, you know, some people like to make plans and some don't, but the practical upside of making plans for fun things is that then you can anticipate it and know that something really awesome is going to happen. And, and that sort of stretches out the pleasure. Um, you could be sort of fully aware when you're in an experience, like reminding yourself, I'm having fun. I mean, that seems so silly, but like you, calling awareness to it um, and telling the people you're with, like, this is awesome. Like you're sharing this together. Uh, that's a way to, to savor the experience, to take in as many details as you can, and then do something afterwards to commemorate the fact. Um, you know, whether that's taking pictures and then t making time later to look at the pictures and show other people the pictures. Um, that that's one way to to stretch out the pleasure writing about it in your journal you know telling friends about it all of all of these are ways to to make the memory cemented i like to talk to my kids there's this there's some literature in the child development world about helping your kids remember events and part of that is sort of talking to them about it after the fact mm -hmm. I remember we went to the pool yesterday what was your favorite part that kind of thing yeah, so you acknowledge that good things have happened um, and, and that these are the things and, and you get some of the pleasure by repeating the experience. Like, oh, yeah, I remember when that happened. Um, so this is, these are all ways that humans can stretch out their pleasure. Yeah. Now, I want to go back to this idea of time logs. And I know uh, you really recommend that your readers and listeners try this, that they do a couple of weeks and you have some time logs that people can use pre-made sort of digital, you know, Excel file kind of thing on your web page. You've been keeping a time log for many years. Um, mm -hmm. And I'd, I'm curious, why do you think that this is useful and what have you gotten out of the time logs? Yeah, I've been tracking my time for over four years now, which uh, I will go ahead and say that nobody else needs to do. Uh, so like, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, but I write about this. So there's useful aspects of it for me that there just wouldn't be there for anyone else. Uh, but I think a week is good. A week is a great amount of time to sort of get a real sense of where your time goes, what the rhythm of your life looks like, um, what time is there, what what 
time is sort of more crunched, what time is more open, what are the you know high opportunity cost times, low opportunity cost times, what you like, what you don't like. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just do this on a spreadsheet. It's got half hour blocks. It's Monday to Sunday across the top, 5 a.m. to 4.30 a.m. and half hour blocks down the left-hand side. I check in about three to four times a day, write down what I've done since the last time I checked in. Uh, you know, it's really simple. It only takes me about three minutes a day, the same amount of time I spend brushing my teeth. So not a, not a huge investment of time. But I think it's done a few things for me. One is that it, it makes me accountable for my time in the same way that a food log or a spending log would, would do. Um, and, you know, to my mind, uh, it, time is more precious as a resource than money because I know I can make more money, but I absolutely cannot make more time. So I want to be very sure that I am using this resource wisely. And a time log helps me see that. It's helped me see where I have space that I could use for things that I um, have, you know, said I want to do, but I'm not doing <laughs> that. So that's always an option. Uh, you know, make sure I, I'm not telling myself any stories. I mean, I feel almost no working parent guilt. Um, and I think that that is partly a result of knowing exactly where my time goes and, and seeing that, you know, yes, I work. I also spend like gobs of time with my children. <laughs> like I, I can see that on the time logs. Mm -hmm. I've had a lot of people tell me they've had the same experience, you know, in their, in their minds, like, oh, well, I work full time there before I never see my family, except for then I keep this time log and I see my family a ton. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it's, it keeps us accountable. And then, you know, the final thing, that it's helped me with is it becomes an artifact of memory. I mean, we talked about how we can savor experiences. Um, and one of those things is creating an artifact afterwards that we can then study. And a time log is such a complete artifact of a memory. So it's not just like, oh yeah, I remember that my husband and I went to dinner that night. It's like, oh yeah. And I remember we also had this happen before and like, oh, remember that's when we got, you know, had to take this rerouting home because there's a flood along the river. Wait, you know, and then we came home and, you know, this happened. Like, it's just, everything is there. And so the memory is far more complete than it would be otherwise. It was saying, oh yeah, we had fun. My family going to dinner that night. And yeah, that's the day I interviewed so-and-so that morning. Like I, I would never connect those two things in my mind as having happened on the same day, but I have the, recollection because of the memories on these time logs now. So it's, it, I know where my time goes. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that this, this piece about how sometimes we're very inaccurate about it. I think that that really struck me in your work that people guess how they, you know, how much sleep they get and how much they time they spend watching TV and how much time they spend working or with their kids. And a lot of times we're just wrong about it. Yeah. Yeah. We're not using the time the way that we think we are. And so part of this feeling, you know, I mentioned earlier, sometimes I just feel like I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I can't do important things. It's actually not true. And yeah, it, yeah. I mean, there are, there are certain things that people misestimate. Um, you know, most, a lot of people who are, for instance, salaried, think they work more hours than they actually do. Um, obviously if you get paid by the hour, you, you got a pretty good handle on it, but if, if that's not you, um, there can be a lot of sort of un, un, lack of clarity around it. Um, and we tend to remember our worst days as typical. And I, I like to joke about this sometimes of like how much people overestimate their work weeks, but I totally do it too. Um, you know, I, for years I was walking around talking about my 50 hour work weeks and here's how I'm going to allocate my 50 hours to get stuff done. You know, I talk about this in speeches, like this is what I do. And 
then I started tracking my time continuously a couple of years ago. And I very quickly realized I don't work 50 hours a week. Um, I mean, my average is around 40. Um, and, and that's a very different number than 50. And it's not that I never worked 50 hours a week. Like clearly there were some weeks than I do. Um, it's just that those are no more typical than the weeks that I work 30, but somehow in my mind, like I'd never count the days, you know, the weeks where I work 30 hours, like, Oh yeah, well I'll, you know, I took Monday off. Therefore like, this isn't totally a typical week, but it, it happens. Like it happens a fair number of times in the course of the year. Um, probably just as frequently as the 50 hour weeks. So, you know, it, the, the average was something totally different than what I was talking about. Yeah. And I think it's a funny thing because we almost sometimes feel like we're working constantly mm-hmm. and that's because we're doing these things where we're piddling around, checking our email. Maybe we're just not using it wisely. And so it's, yeah. like, well, I've been working all, you know, constantly when in fact what we're doing a lot of that time is not really work in the important sense of what we mean by work. Yeah. But it's not even just adding up distractions during the day. I mean, the sheer number of hours isn't there. I don't know. People just in their minds, it's, it's somehow multiplies. I don't know. It sounds, it sounds good to say you work 80 hours a week or something. And and so people will, you know, a competitive world, put a high number on it. And we tend to underestimate leisure time. You know what we're, when people say I have no free time whatsoever, um, and what they mean is I don't, I don't have as much free time as I want, but not as much as I want is a very different story from none. You know, I mean, these are not the same story at all, but they become the same story in, in our minds. Um, and, and so it's important to have the correct story because then we can make good choices. Whereas if, you know, you say I have none, well, that's just defeatist. There's nothing you can do about that. Well, and you give a personal example that's very near and dear to my own heart because I love reading novels. I've always been a bookworm. And I know this is something that you care about too. And I often tell myself, well, I don't have enough time to read because I'm always either with my kids or working. And I and you work very hard, have four children, which is twice as many as I have, <laughs> and you read prolifically. How do you make that happen? Well, I mean, I've been through long reading slumps in my life and it was really tracking time that helped me see this. Like I, um, you know, I, I was sort of telling myself, oh, I really don't have that much time to read. Like, yes, maybe later in life there will be more time to read, but I'm just going to not think about it now because I'm, you know, it's just, I'm busy, right? Like, and, and then I tracked my time. I tracked my time for a year. And I read, I mean, it was over 300 hours that year. Um, so it was, a, it was about an hour a day. Um, which is, you know, not a small amount of time. Uh, that adds up, yeah. Of, like anything I'd read. Like I couldn't think of hardly any good books that I had tackled in that time. And the sad part about that is like in 350 hours or whatever it was, like I could have read War and Peace like 10 times. Like, you know, it was not that there was no time for reading. It was that I was reading crap um, yes. because I was being so mindless about the time because I was telling myself it didn't exist. So once I saw that, I'm like, well, you know, let me be a little bit more strategic about how I allocate this hour a day I have. And, and I want to be clear here. It's not like there was an hour somewhere that I was just completely missing. I mean, it just, it tended to be more in chunks. Like I'd read for 15 minutes here and I read for 15 minutes there and maybe, you know, 20 minutes before bed or something. But, you know, I could have been more strategic about what I was reading. And so I, you know, started thinking about what do I want to read? Let me find books. Let me read reviews. Let me make sure I always have a good book on hand. Um, Let me put eBooks on my phone. That turns out to be a great way to nudge yourself to read more. Um, So, you know, doing those things, I was able to 
you know, I, I spent some more time reading um, in the next year, but it wasn't, you know, a huge amount of more time reading. It was, you know, more, but not, I mean, an hour a day, again, is still a lot. Uh, but I read all sorts of great books. I mean, I actually did read War and Peace, um, you know, and because it takes about check, check off your bucket you know, list. And yeah. you read 35 hours, like you just, if you're reading an hour a day, you can get through it in a month. So there you go. Yeah, no, I think that's really important. Like if you, for instance, stop reading sort of, it's almost like junk food of reading, yeah. you know, turn off these things you're scrolling around on the internet. Online articles, like magazines yeah. I didn't care about. I, I enjoy magazines. Like I don't want to, you know, there's a lot of good stuff in magazines and certainly some of them are like reading through The Economist is always very enlightening. Like I now know about elections in Benin or whatever. <laughs> I didn't but, but then like I'm reading some magazines where it's like, okay, this is at least the 10th time this year I have read a story on how air popped popcorn is a great low calorie snack. Like I do not ever need to read that article again. That. Right. <laughs> so we're done. Like stop reading that. Use that time for something else. Yeah. Well, I spend quite a bit of time in the car commuting to work and schlepping kids around. My kids aren't always really gung ho on this, but I, I will, for instance, get some, some audio books that I are books I actually want to read that go well in that format. Some, I find that some do and some don't, but to actually, I'm using my time sitting in the car. It doesn't feel like as much of a waste. I'm listening yeah. even to news radio. It's kind of like, okay, well, I keep hearing the same doom and gloom over and over again. I can, you know, I can listen to something that I actually pl had planned to read anyway during that time or yeah. Yeah. And those minutes before bed when you tend to be kind of puttering around. Yeah. So in terms of some of the, the, details of how we use our time, which you get into in some of your books and also on your podcast, just in terms of kind of balancing all of these things. One of the things that I think people do wrong is spend too much time on the things that aren't what you call their core competencies. What do you mean by core competencies and how can we kind of make more room for them in our lives? Yeah. So these are, I mean, this is sort of, you know, business jargon and whatever. And I, I don't necessarily hear people use this so much anymore, but when I wrote the book, it was, it was kind of the hot topic. Um, but uh, these are the things that you do best that other people cannot do nearly as well. And so given that time is limited, you are generally best off optimizing it by spending your time on these things that you are uniquely positioned to do and that other people cannot do as well. So as an example, um, you know, you probably have, say, elderly relatives that would like for you to call them <laughs> and to talk with them and, and, you know, make sure that they're doing okay and, you know, check in on them and all this stuff. Like, you could probably pay a service to do that, but that seems really sad. <laughs> on the other hand, like you could go to the grocery store or you could pay a service to go to the grocery store. Um, and that would probably be a better thing to, to outsource. So, you know, spend your time on being a, you know, the, the daughter, the son of, of somebody, you know, that you're caring for them. Um, and then somebody else can go buy the groceries, right? Like this, these are how you think about what is the best use of your time. And it's the same thing at work too. I mean, you know, we all have things that we are uniquely good at or have become very skilled at. There are also things we don't do as well. And, and one of the real breakthroughs um, in, in a professional environment is figuring out, well, what are those things that I don't do so well or um, you know, don't particularly like, not very good at, and how can I find somebody else who is a total rock star at that um, and, and have them do it? Um, because then we can achieve more, all of us, uh, than if you are spending your time doing these things that you're, you're not 
particularly uniquely well positioned to do um, and, and not on time, not spending your time on things that you could do. Yeah, I think in the work domain, I actually have kind of a work and a personal example of this. In the work domain, for instance, I let a lot of emails slide. Mm -hmm. I just never open them. And that sometimes, honestly, I get into a little trouble because sometimes I miss something. (laughs) But after reading your work, I actually feel okay about that because so many of the emails that come through, they're not important. And it's not actually helping me toward my career goals. It's not something that matters or is meaningful or is uniquely important to me. You know, I have a PhD and some of this stuff is like just not, I'm not using it. I'm not using my knowledge base, right? (laughs) Yeah. Now email, I mean, email can expand to fill all available space. And um, I think once you acknowledge that, that, you know, it's actually kind of liberating to be like, well, I will actually never be a hundred percent caught up on it. That's fine. Like it's not going to stay on my tombstone. She deleted all her email. So I always felt so guilty about that. Like it was a personal shortcoming and now I'm like, it's okay. No, it's okay. I mean, I would say that you want to be responsive to the people who are important for you and your relationships. I mean, the people who are important to you deserve a response. Like the problem with email is it's so easy that you get people requesting stuff who you don't owe anything. And in the in the old days, I mean, before this, they would never have called you, like they would never have shown up in your office. Um, And yet, because of email, they can do this. You know that uh, recognizing that you know you can you can glance through it, and if you have an assistant, you might have the person look through it because sometimes random stuff comes in that is exciting and and might be a good thing worth pursuing. But you know, it's, it's probably not something you need to stress yourself out over. Right. And you can usually tell by the, who sends it and the subject line, if it's something you actually need to deal with or not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I think also stretching the length of time that you feel is acceptable for a response is another big breakthrough. Cause if you're, you know, in your mind, you need to be back to somebody in two hours, like you're never going to do anything else. Like (laughs) that's, you're going to spend your life trying to meet that two hour deadline. Um, if you're more in the two day camp, well, that's, that's sort of more maintainable, right? So, um, you know, I, I think anyone you work with closely should have other ways to reach you. Um, right. Well, and what I find is that if it's really important, you'll find out about it. If you mm-hmm. overlook something by mistake, they'll know, get back to you. They'll yeah. come after you. <laughs> <laughs> they find you. Yeah. Well, and now the personal domain, because, you know, your best of both worlds podcast is about, you know, as p- people who have both a work life and a personal sort of domestic life, how do we make this happen? So on my time log one week, no joke, I went to Target four times. <laughs> Again, I'm a person who has a doctorate, who, you know, has a <laughs> job that I feel is important. I have two children. Well, how did that happen? Okay, A is that I'm not good about this sort of outsourcing, right? Like this is all stuff, if I had put some thought into it, I could, it was just, oh, I forgot something. And oh, we forgot a bathing suit. Let's run to Target and get one instead of, and then, um, I mean, it's a long story why this happened in one week, but I'm thinking, okay, what were the number of hours I spent? And was that a good use of my time? In no way was that a good use of my time. Not to mention the fact that if you go to Target with your children, it's, it's disaster. Hellish, yes. 
Um, but I, I think for me, one thing is just the sense of, you know, what's important to you? Like, can you outsource some of the unimportant stuff, right? So Target to me is not important or enjoyable. In fact, you just end up with more stuff you don't need that you then have to manage. Um, I think though, like, I've been thinking about my own self, for instance, I actually enjoy cooking. It's not really a core competency of mine. I'm not, not a chef, but I enjoy the time with my family sort of in the kitchen, eating a reasonably healthy meal and that kind of thing. And so you have me really thinking about this, like how am I using my personal sort of home time? What kind of strategies do you use to, to keep the home life sort of reasonably flowing well? Yeah, well, I mean, one thing that's been um, pretty great um, is is having assistance on on the personal front. Um, like, I have um, a nanny who's there for childcare purposes primarily, but all my children spend at least some hours a day in school now. Like, my youngest is now in preschool in the morning, and so those have morphed into um, some like personal assistance time, um, and and so somebody else can go to target and I can mm-hmm. stay focused on, on work. And, and that's been great. Or for doing, you know, various things like, you know, calling an airline to get some frequent flyer miles refunded that shouldn't have been used or, you know, there's just things that take time um, that it turns out you can, you can pay a personal assistant to do, um, which has been wonderful to figure that out. Um, you know, we also make very liberal use of online shopping um, because, you know, I, I know there's some issues with shopping at Amazon and, and there are many reasons to shop locally if you can, but uh, the things you were running to target, I mean, a target's a huge corporation too. And, right. and the things you were running to target for were probably not the sort of things that you would have bought at a, you know, local independent store anyway. Right. Like <laughs> this is like, you're, you know, we're out of toilet paper. We got to get there. Um, so, you know, yes, if you're buying like a, a gift for a new baby and you want to have the experience of shopping in a small local boutique, that's awesome. Um, but for a lot of other stuff, if you can at least think a day or two ahead about what you'll need, um, you know, Amazon and now some of the other retailers like Target and Walmart can, can ship it to you in, in that unit of time. Um, so if you're like, oh yeah, this child has a pool party this weekend and I just looked at the swimsuit and it's broken. Well, that, if you know that by Wednesday or Thursday, you can do something about it without having to get in the car to go. Yeah. And even these days, I haven't really been using this, but I'm starting to is things like, you know, a milk delivery service or having, you know, picking up your groceries that you order mm-hmm. online or having them delivered, these kind of shortcuts, which if shopping is not something that you enjoy or find important, it will actually really help you in the long run. And I think kind of freeing ourselves up to do that a little bit to, more to me. And I think this is maybe true in general, more for women than men is that we kind of feel like, oh, we have to be doing all these things ourselves. Yeah, and you sort of free people up from that, right? <laughs> it's really not necessary. No, no. I mean, A, you know, there, there's certainly the option that, you know, bringing in outside assistance, but even all the people in the household can um, divvy some of this up. And I think it's important to have communication about that and to assign roles um, and, and areas of responsibility. And to do this in a way that is not making assumptions. Um, you know, there's all sorts of assumptions people learn they have that they didn't know they had. Um, but then all of a sudden you're, you know, parents and you fall into gender roles that neither of you like particularly ascri- you know, subscribe to, but like 
you feel like, well, why is, why is dad changing the light bulbs? Like, I'm pretty sure that mom is just as capable of changing a light bulb or like knowing that what light bulb is, it needs to be purchased. And, you know, moms can mow lawns or they can, you know, hire a service to do it or dads can cook dinner, dads can do laundry. Um, And, and so I think it's important to sort of, uh, you know, divide all these roles and responsibilities based on who likes what, um, who hates what, um, because you want to sort of make sure that nobody's doing all stuff they hate. Uh, and, and that can lead to a lot of more household harmony and peace. Right. It's not like a personal shortcoming. If I order my groceries online and pick them up instead of spending 45 minutes shopping for them myself. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. there's plenty of people who love grocery shopping. I mean, you know, there can be fun things about it too. Like, you know, maybe it's an excuse to get out of the house on the weekend, um, you know, especially if you can go by yourself, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that you can look at all the beautifully arranged peaches. I mean, there's some aesthetic benefits to that. And if you love it, awesome. If you view it as a hassle and like, I'm going to have to bring my two-year-old or whatever it is, order it online. Um, Right. Get that time back. Well, and I'd much rather be actually cooking than shopping for groceries. Personally, I like looking at recipes and, you know, puttering around the kitchen. So for me, if I free up some of that time shopping, I'll have more time to actually cook. Yeah. Which is a trade-off I'd really like to make. So it's, it's helpful just to kind of think about for you personally, what are the things that you're doing that are taking up a lot of time that don't matter to you and and where can you free some time up? And there's one more exercise. Maybe we could kind of end on this note that I've found pretty interesting, which is it helps with the core competency idea, I think. um, And that's the list of 100 dreams. Tell us about that. Why, why would people maybe find that to be a helpful exercise? Yeah, so this is a great exercise that was shared with me a couple of years ago by a career coach named Caroline Sinisa Levine that she was doing with her clients. Um, and the idea is to make a really, really long list of anything you want to spend more time doing in your life. Um, and, you know, it could be things you want to do that will require time. So, I mean, you could be vague, like exercise, or you could put something like, you know, run the Boston Marathon, like that is clearly going to take time to get yourself in a place that you can do. Um, but but they could be things like, all sorts of things like that. But the idea of a hundred is that it's really hard to get to a hundred. Like this takes a lot of thinking. You'll probably have to come back to the list a few times, um, which is good because then you are spending some mental space on this question of what you'd like to spend more time doing. Um, you know, it, 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 it's not, you're not holding yourself to any of it. So go ahead and put anything on it that occurs to you. Uh, but then, you know, when you have open time, like often we don't know what we want to do with our time. And so we sort of spend it the easiest way possible on the effortless fun that we were talking about. Whereas if you have a list of anything you might want to spend time doing, you'd be like, oh yeah, hey, look, Saturday's pretty open. Oh, and here's this state park we keep saying we want to go to that's an hour away. And, you know, we've lived here six years and haven't gone to. Well, we could do that on this Saturday. And so then you make a plan and you try it out. And here's the interesting thing. The state park might be horrible. Okay. But like now, you know, and so now you're not going there. You're not telling yourself like, Oh, if only I had the time, we would go there all the time. Like this, we would be the people who are always at the state park. Like, no, you're not going to, because it's actually not that great. But now, you know, and so you've released that mental energy. Um, but you also might find things that you do really enjoy and, and that can become a more regular part of your life. And it's really about just, you know, figuring out what it feels like to enjoy the way you're spending your time. Yeah, I had that exact experience. The first maybe 50 or so were easy. They were bucket list things, you know, like read Infinite Jest and go to hike Machu Picchu kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But then after that, it got harder. And so then it getting started getting a lot more 
Yeah. yeah. And, and you're not going to Machu Picchu this weekend. So that's why you no. got to go to a hundred because no. like, the first 50 is Machu Picchu. And then second 50 is, you know, the, the, the local stream. I mean, so that's why it's, it's important to go that far. Yeah. Yeah. It helped me. I started putting kind of boring things even on there, like buy a new pair of jeans that actually fit me and that kind of thing. <laughs> and then, <laughs> right. But then I noticed themes, like almost all of them were either in the domain of travel reading or sort of personal care, you know, kind of like exercise or taking more time for myself. And I, what it helped me see is that, and and I think getting past that first few that came really easily really helped me see like, what are the domains where I really feel like there's some room to be doing more than I'm doing. Yeah. And that's kind of what it's all about, right? Is Mm -hmm. like, what is important to me that I am not making the time for and how can I prioritize that? Yeah. that's, That's a question we should all be asking ourselves. Yeah. And I actually think that kind of is, is really what your books are about. And, and to close, I really recommend that people who find this interesting, look more into your books that, that get into some of the details of this more, but then also that overall philosophy about how we, how we think about time. Um, So check them out. We'll definitely post links to your webpage and your books on the show notes for today's episode. And listeners can also find out more at your website, Laura Vandercam with a K.com um, and find time logs there, links to all your books and some other resources. Yeah. Thanks. Please come visit me there. I have a great community and blog frequently. So I'd love to have people visit. Yeah. And also your podcast is wonderful. Your blog, you know, there's just so much out there. So enjoy. And Laura, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Psychologist Off the Clock. You can find us on iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you are having a mental health emergency, please dial 911. If you're looking for mental health treatment, please visit the resources on our webpage. Our website is www.offtheclockpsych.com. That's www.offtheclockpsych.com. Www.offtheclockpsych.com.